Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you very much for tuning in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and back with me for the second straight week is Chris Miller. Chris recently shared with our congregation from God's Word in Habakkuk chapter 3. So, Chris, uh, very good to uh, get in this three weeks of uh, study of this book of uh, Habakkuk, a small but powerful book, and I really appreciate you sharing uh, this time again with us. Me too. Thanks for having me, Bart. It's always good to get together and talk with you, and then to to kind of debrief about what was said and what I wish I'd said on Sunday and yeah, talk through it. Well, you did a great job and appreciated what you shared uh, during the sermon. And you shared a lot during the sermon, but you shared with me privately something that I just wanted to bring up and get your get a little bit more uh, fleshing of it, that comment. You said that it's been a long time since you had learned so much from preaching a sermon. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you meant by that. Well, I, I think that you're just awed by uh, how deep God's Word is and how special it is. And, you know, you, everybody thinks, I suppose, the pastor or the, you know, the Bible prof, uh, we know it all. But, man, there's just so much there that is uh, unique and affirming. And, and the deep insights that Habakkuk had. We sometimes overlook these minor prophets and think they're less important, but they're only minor in the sense that they're shorter. But the messages, I think, as we learn through Habakkuk here are really powerful and really relevant. And um, just so many things dawned on me that I that I uh, hadn't seen before and, and were so powerful that I, I was just uh, kind of blown away by the book myself again. You mentioned, Chris, there, there's a certain tension present in this book. We see Habakkuk questioning God's use of the Babylonians to discipline Judah. Mm-hmm. And then we see him trying to understand God's response. And then we hear in chapter 3 here his prayer of faith. It really seems to me, though, that living in this type of tension is a natural part of living as a Christian, as, as a child of God. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, sure. There's, now, there's there's good tension and there's bad tension. The, the, the first tension was the difference between how Habakkuk was talking in 1 and 2 versus what he was talking in chapter 3. And I really think, um, maybe this is simplistic, but I think that's a bad tension. I think it's a difference between the complaint of chapter 1 and the true lament of chapter 3. And I think there's, as we saw, there's a, there's a huge difference. And a lot of it has to do with that hinge point at the end of chapter 2 where God says, now I'm in charge and you need to be quiet. You need to take some time alone to think through this and get your head straight. And I think he does so that, so that he's not complaining the same way or saying, God, this can't be right or don't do it this way. Here, take my advice on this, God, to the point where he says, yet I will wait patiently. So, so that tension is, is really a growth and he, he moves from one and two to three. So after it's all over, that tension has been resolved. But there's another tension that is still there, and that is what we found in the last couple of last four or five verses together. That is, the pain is still there, and the trust is still there, and that tension remains. So that uh, the trust in God does not take away the pain, as sometimes we want to superficially believe, thinking that if I just get my heart right with God, he'll make my life better. Well, he will eventually, but not now. And that tension is what remains. 
And spe- specifically in those last four verses, the last four verses, and the verse starts with verse 16. I heard, I trembled within, my lips quivered, rottenness entered my, bo- rottenness entered my bones. I trembled. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. And he ends, of course, there in verses 18 and 19. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation in spite of the fact that the circumstances are a mess. And I have no idea where this is going or how this could ever turn into something good. I'm going to trust God. Exactly right. And, and, uh, and that's, that's the, the most beautiful summary and demonstration of the just shall live by faith that we have. Chris, I was, I was reading an article uh, by a, a sports writer, and a sports writer was decrying the, those in uh, baseball mm-hmm. who would stand against certain cultural norms that are, have entered our, our lexicon and entered our lives mm-hmm. uh, and our culture here in the United States and really throughout the world. But somebody, a Christian, standing up and saying, no, I don't think this is right. Mm-hmm. And this is part of that tension, too, mm-hmm. where we are living in direct conflict or direct opposition to what the world says is right, is mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to stand in that and either take the consequences or... Is there another option? Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think, as I said before, I think the, the essence of Christianity is the ability to to look at the world honestly. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to ignore. We can say, yeah, this is true, but God is true as well. And that seems like a contradiction to people without faith. Uh, it seems illogical to them, but I think any other way is dishonest. And so we just need to continue with the truth in mm. spite of what might come our way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, this is what distinguishes us as believers. This, the righteous one will live by this kind of faith. With regards to types of, of lament, mm-hmm. we've talked about laments. We've talked about uh, what makes up a, a biblical lament mm-hmm. uh, when we are lamenting before God. One type of lament is imprecatory prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of our listeners uh, shared this comment and this question with me. And, of course, imprecatory prayer, praying judgment against someone or invoking mm-hmm. judgment from God uh, against one of his enemies, yes. uh, so to speak. Yes. Uh, we see examples of this uh, throughout the Psalms. Is it appropriate to ask God to judge those who mock him, or, or should we be seeking mercy for the those in the world, uh, knowing that once we were among those who mocked God? <laughs> uh, again, very hard question, very good question, very relevant question, uh, but also one of those that probably reflects this idea that we've been talking about with tension, and that is, how can both be true? And, and a simplistic and a wrong way to look at it is to say, well, the Old Testament, you know, they, they call down imprecations on their enemies, but Jesus shows us a new way when he says, Father, forgive them. And again, that's pretty simplistic because there's a time and a place for both of these. And at the second coming, Jesus comes on the war horse to judge, right? So, so um, th- th- there, there are times that are both. And I know the listeners are going to say, well, tell us, how do you know? And, <laughs> and, and, and I don't know exactly, but I know that both, both can exist here. Um, because even, even here in the passage in Habakkuk, it says, I will wait patiently for the calamity to come upon those invading us. This is the imprecation. This is the correct judgment. And yet that's not the focus of his concern. I'm going to wait patiently. I'm going to trust God and I'll rejoice in God. Let God take the vengeance in his own time. So, uh, yeah, I think there are times when, you know, you see, you see a, a deceiver out there or, or a cult 
that is capturing someone and it makes you angry and you say, God, either save those people or, or, or stop them from doing what they're doing. And, and I, I'm, I'm not so sure that both are not appropriate at, at times. Another minor prophet puts it this way. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you mm-hmm. but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Mm-hmm. There's that tension too. Yeah. yeah. You, you made a comment on Sunday, Chris, that in order to pray well, or something like this, in order to pray well, it's important to read and understand the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you would also hold to the converse being true. Mm-hmm. Talk to us more about the relationship between reading and understanding the Scripture and praying. Hmm. Well, I think if we're if we're going to work here from from this chapter Habakkuk three, uh, again, what impressed me most was how God told him to be silent, to to kind of respectfully shut up, uh, think about this, and then what happens in that poem in the first fifteen verses is as I described on Sunday, sort of a collage. It's it is a it is a little mini movie trailer where these are just quick little references that that go all over the scripture about all of many of God's amazing works in the past so that what verses 1 to 15 represents is a deep deep study uh, of what God has done and then out of that comes his final prayer conclusion at the very end 16 17 18 and 19 so that's where that um, statement came from that when he finally does get his head right and is able to pray a sweet prayer of faith, um, it comes after he has immersed his mind in his thoughts in who God is. And that's, if you're not looking, if we're not looking through that lens, we're not going to see life properly. Do you think that in verse 20, where it says, uh, chapter 2 that is, but the Lord is in his holy temple, that the whole earth be silent in his presence. That's what you're referencing there. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a, a, a sense of uh, be quiet and think on these things? Absolutely. Meditate. Yes, absolutely. I think it is. Yeah. Because it's not saying don't ever talk because Habakkuk does then talk in chapter 3, right? So you don't have to keep silent forever. But at this point when he's making a complaint, it's like now be quiet for a second and think through who God is. Reorient your focus on him, and then you can speak up, and he does. Let's talk about practical applications of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, We all need to do more of this. We talked about that, being quiet. Mm-hmm. We all need to develop the discipline of being quiet and meditating on God's word. Mm-hmm. What are some practical ways that you have seen profit be profitable in your own life, or maybe those around you that you've seen other people use some, uh, maybe just some exercises that somebody might do to practice this idea of meditating in God's word, praying God's word, however it might work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, there are a number of practical applications to that I think, in our day and age, and I'm prone to this, you're prone to this, I know, and many people are as well, you know, our type A folks, we just want to do things and fix things and get things done. And I think a lot of those admonitions are meant for us to stop trying to fix it, meditate upon God, include God in the whole thing. And there's nothing better than reading through the Psalms meditatively and quietly without a big agenda um, to help, uh, again, fix our focus on God. Um, but I think one of the biggest helps I saw from this chapter was that he, he, in verses 16 to 17, 
honestly identifies the tensions, the, the hard things that he's feeling. And I'm afraid that sometimes I try to ignore those things and feel like as a good Christian, they should not bother me. Tra-la-la. Yes, yes. But Habakkuk says, no, he, he calls it what it is. And he talks about the pain it's caused and how wrong it is. And he laments the disease or the death or the sickness or the aging or the injustice. And he calls them out so that rather than just trying to ignore those little fears and doubts and troubles that nip at our faith, he calls them out, identifies them so that uh, I don't think they have the power over him because he's now focused on God. Okay, Chris, this past Sunday, we began our time of worship with a time of personal and in small groups dedicated to lamenting. Mm-hmm. We uh, spent, oh, I don't know, five minutes to some who don't like to do that thing. Mm-hmm. It might have seemed like 10 or 15, mm-hmm. but uh, we spent, spent that time in our sanctuary preceding our service. It was more communal in nature. It was a small group. Uh, than what we find Habakkuk doing. He's lamenting in private. But are there other examples in the scripture of times uh, where people have lamented in a group, maybe communal, maybe even, I'm thinking there have to be times of Israel lamenting uh, mm-hmm. their their sin and God's judgment on them. Mm-hmm. What's some of those, what are some elements in mm-hmm. the idea of communal lament? that we might see and try to uh, put into practice. I, th- I think the, the, there are a number of places, you know, you read through the Old Testament and you see the when when things go tragically wrong uh, in Moses' day and, and uh, there is sin in the camp or in Joshua's day when Achan steals things he shouldn't steal in, jo- in uh, Joshua chapter 7 where Moses, or excuse me, Joshua and the elders uh, tear their clothes and they lament and they throw... Uh, ashes on their hair and, and and everyone laments and i think it's kind of saying it's 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 setting a a community culture where everyone agrees this is wrong and this is bad and sin has consequences and so it's it's a chance to for all of us to agree we shouldn't take sin lightly or we shouldn't take trouble this kind of trouble lightly well, let's all acknowledge it instead of trying to be polite and pretend that everything is always good because that that's not an honest way to live and God doesn't want us to do that. So I think it's, it's a way to practice the corporate culture of lament, which is not something we should be ashamed of or embarrassed about. It's, it's what we should, it's, it's about living life honestly. But we don't do it well. We don't do it well because uh, it, there's something about our human nature that wants to gloss over the problems and not acknowledge them and not deal with them. And, and again, just sort of live in a, fantasy land in some ways well and part of lament is what it's confession yeah often and recognizing that what we have done is wrong so how does this affect a church uh you know our church grace baptist church uh i don't know that we really do this well we don't have a a culture of lament mm-hmm. and as you said partly because i think perhaps to lament is to admit that maybe we we haven't been doing things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's endemic in any culture. You don't want to go there because we want to build up. We want to build up, not tear down. Mm-hmm. I think so too. How can we, at Grace, as Grace Baptist Church, how can we lament well? And what do the elders, the leadership of the church need to do to foster mm-hmm. a culture of appropriate lament? Mm-hmm. God. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I'm going to answer that. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> you're, getting, you're getting too personal here, Bart. I mean, you're getting too real uh, because you, you hit the nail on the head here about how do we how do we make our culture more godly? How do we make our culture more like Jesus would want it to be? And and we we one of the first things is the honesty. We have to stop pretending that we're okay and uh, that everything is okay. That it is okay to struggle and to admit, Lord, I I really failed this week. And it's whenever we do that, it's always I always try to find socially acceptable things to confess. Oh, I haven't prayed enough. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, there's some deeper issues that we struggle with that we are afraid to acknowledge because we think that uh, we're supposed to be perfect and, and we're not. We're in process. But therein lies attention because we are to, uh, we have we have experienced and we will continue and we should experience the victory of Christ mm-hmm. and we should live in light of that victory. And so we don't want to be that morose church that is always just decrying our mm-hmm. lack of, of fitness for God. We are God's children. Mm-hmm. We are called his children. And uh, we need to live in light of that victory as well. So mm-hmm. it is a good tension when we get back to that. Yeah, the hardest part is to stay on the path, isn't it? There are about 15 Uh-oh. different ways to fall off the path. Oh. <laughs> and I'll follow you down the next uh, the next ravine here yeah. one day probably. But uh, no, it is. It, and we need to be encouraging one another mm-hmm. in those times. And perhaps when one of us is lamenting privately, mm-hmm. the other one needs to be rejoicing and reminding what we have mm. in store for us. Yeah, good point. That's, Next week, Tim Cockrell is going to begin a new series in the book of Hosea, another so-called minor prophet. Uh, Chris, understanding that you are not going to be preaching that message, I don't know that you're scheduled to preach during that series. Uh, would you still be willing to give us just a brief overview from your study in that book? Mm, yeah, Hosea is, again, another one of these what we call minor prophets, not because they are less important, but because they're often shorter and targeted over a particular issue, whereas the three major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are really large in dealing with major national events. But the minor prophets, like Hosea and Habakkuk, often have very deeply powerful things to say. And I've always thought that Hosea is one of the most important books in the Old Testament for two things. Number one, the theology about how God lives, loves Israel, and works with Israel is very, very important, and all the other prophets tag team off of that. They follow what Hose, the, the pattern that Hosea lays down. But also the second part about Hosea is the heart. And it, this always amazes me that this is good theology, but it is very personal theology, so that God wraps this entire message up in the form of a husband-wife relationship with, with which I think all of us could understand. Even people who aren't married you know, teenagers or college kids who are not married, whatever, uh, we all want to have a significant other person who loves us. And I think we've all felt in some way how painful, how deeply painful it can be when that person who you want to love you doesn't and rejects you for someone else. And God says, yeah, you see that pain? Remember that pain? You feel that pain? That's how I feel when you reject me for someone who's not as good as I am. So this book, I think, tells us good theology about God, but also tells us good theology about the personal nature of the relationship that we ought to have with God. God is not this forgiveness machine in the sky or theological abstract, but a person, which is why we always talk about a personal relationship with God. 
I asked you this last week with regard to Habakkuk. Is there one thought that comes to your mind, one concise thought when you think of the book of Hosea that comes to Chris Miller's mind? You say, yeah, this is... This is really what I get from that. Yeah, here's what I get from that. <clears throat> and and, and the, 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 the illustration I sometimes give my students is, who's a better husband, Boaz or Hosea? And it's a comparison most people have never thought about, and it kind of stumps people for a while. And then I say to myself, okay, whom would you rather marry, a Ruth or a Gomer? And the answer, of course, is, well, anybody would want to marry a Proverbs 31 woman. I mean, Ruth was an amazing woman from the story of Ruth and Boaz. But, but to marry someone who's going to be faithless, that's where the love, the unconditional love of God is shown. And I'm sure Boaz is a great husband. But Hosea shows us the depths of God's unconditional commitment in a way that no other book does. Looking forward to that study. Yeah, me too. I, I'm excited to hear what Tim has to say. Hey, thanks for joining us today and uh, being back here this second week. Really appreciate your work with us here on this small but very powerful book. My pleasure. Thanks, Bart. We've been digging deeper today with Chris Miller, and you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be beginning that new discussion of our next sermon series in the book of Hosea. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.